But it's lovely to be here and to share with you. I, I do bring you the, the very warm greetings of uh, the church family at Central Baptist Church. Uh, we feel that uh, ours is very much uh, a partnership in the gospel with you in these days. So may God bless you in all that you seek to do for him in these days. Let's turn in our Bibles to the Word of God, to John's Gospel, chapter 14. John's Gospel, chapter 14. And it's a passage of God's Word that I think is especially apt for the days in which we live, where there is a sense of, of disorientation in the culture, and people really don't know which way to turn. And that's why I, along with many others, are so excited about what you guys are here, and we back you fully in it, in the Center for Public Christianity. But here is Jesus speaking into the concerns of his disciples. And what Jesus does for his disciples here, he does for his disciples now. So in, this, in the context of a, a disorientated culture, it is God's people who can speak with clarity, who can speak with confidence concerning the things that really matter. Jesus says, verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Well, what an amazing passage of God's Word. I think it's true uh, what, what I was saying to you at the beginning, that there is in our culture a sense of, of disorientation these days. People really not sure which way to turn. And it's no surprise given that, largely speaking, our culture has walked away from the statutes of God. But this is the scenario that we find in our culture today. And there is a different kind of disorientation, but it is a disorientation nevertheless in the context of the disciples here. And our Lord Jesus Christ speaks directly into what these guys were feeling that day, directly into what they were feeling. They've just heard the sound of the door closing. 
The sound of that door closing was the sound of Judas leaving to set in place a sequence of events that would culminate in the cross. There is a sense of dread. There is a sense of foreboding in the hearts of the disciples as they consider what may lie in front of them. It is a really difficult thing. And you can, they're, they're simply stunned. And you can sense it in their questions. Jesus says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas says, Lord, we don't know the way to, to where you're going. We, 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 we don't, we don't. There's a sense of panic there. Similarly with Philip. Lord, you, you need to tell us more. You need to show us more because we're disorientated, we're confused. It is a difficult thing to feel lost and disorientated. I'm sure you've had that experience. I certainly have. In fact, I was, uh, I was in town just uh, after New Year and uh, at the sales. We're not above that kind of thing. And uh, I was standing in the queue at Debenhams, and suddenly I was aware that someone was clutching onto my leg. And... Uh, I looked down and there was this little blonde-haired boy. I've never met him in my life before, but he was clutching on very happily to my leg until he looked up. And he looked up with such a sense of, of horror. Now, I, I, I wanted to reach out to him, but you see, I wasn't the answer to that wee boy's predicament. His dad was. Anyway, I'm glad to tell you he found the right leg, or was it the left leg? Anyway, it was the correct leg that he found eventually. Even the most self-reliant of us are at times still little boys lost, little girls lost. And we look up for comfort. And all around us, we see the search for comfort. All around us, we hear the cries of lostness. We might not always interpret them in that way, but that's what they are. There's a sense of dislocation in our culture, of disorientation in people's lives. They don't know which way to go, and we hear it all around us in the music that is played, in the materialism that we see, in the drugs that are imbibed, in the alcohol that's consumed, in the serial relationships. But these things, some of which are legitimate in their place, are not the core answer to our predicament. You see, as that wee fellow looked up hanging onto my leg that day, there was only one answer to the fear and the dislocation and the sense of disorientation and fear that he felt, and that was his father. And Jesus is saying here, there is only one answer to your heartfelt disorientation, and it is me, and I am the way. I am the way. And it's true, isn't it? We feel it in our personal lives at times. We do feel disorientated. Everything seems to go pear-shaped at times. We lose a loved one. Surely that's the worst one of all. We lose a loved one. Our family circumstances change. Our company downsizes and we feel downsized. Our relationship begins to fail or fails to begin. And we feel it. A bad exam. And we're asking, where am I? And where do I go from here? And what's it all about? But note this, it was at the point of their lostness. It was at the point of their disorientation that the Lord Jesus Christ spoke into the lives and spoke into the experience of His disciples. And it is so often the same with us. And if you've been a believer for any time, 
You'll understand that. That so often when you didn't know where to go, the Word and the presence of Christ flooded your heart, and He lifted you and gave you that direction that you sought again. It is at this point, at that very point of their disorientation, that the Lord Jesus Christ speaks to these disciples the very words that they needed to hear, the very words that they wanted and desired to hear. I will bring you through this. I will bring you through this. I wonder, is Jesus speaking to us this morning in a similar kind of way? For this is the promise of Christ to all who trust in Him. I will bring you through. So Jesus speaks into the confusion and fear of troubled hearts. And these are memorable words, I'm sure you'll agree, words that are so apt for troubled and disorientated people. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. To those who had lost the track of what was happening, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And these words of the Lord Jesus have been so significant in the lives of His disciples since. For they speak into the disorientation and the lostness of our hearts. You see, at the very moment when we might excuse the Lord Jesus Christ for being just a tad self-focused because He has in prospect before Him the cross, at that very moment His care and concern is for His disciples. And if you love the Lord at this very moment, His care and concern is for you. For what was true then is equally true now. Jesus looks into the, at times, disorientation of our lives, and He speaks His words of peace. Oh, how we need to hear the words of Christ. What Jesus says here, however, the clarity and the, the strength of it is not something that fits very well with our culture, is it? The guy who stands up and says, I know the way, is immediately suspect in our culture, isn't he? And yet, Jesus does speak with clarity and strength here, and that doesn't sit easily in the culture in which we find ourselves. We, 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 we swim in a kind of postmodern mood that suspects any kind of truth claims, but there is a clear exclusivity to Jesus' words here. He's not presenting himself as a kind of option in the supermarket of faith but as the unique and only Savior of mankind. He says, I am the way. And the implication is that there are man's ways and there is God's way. I would have loved to have heard the tone of Jesus' voice when He said what He did that day. But one thing is clear. He was making an exclusive claim. And again, some of us, we feel a little bit uncomfortable in a kind of multi-faith context with that kind of words, but it is possible to be firm and to be gracious, to hold to the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. For me, is not an act of belligerence or bigotry. It is an act of love. It is an act of love. And we believe it, and we declare it because Christ said it. I'm going to look at this under two headings. First of all, worried disciples, and secondly, Jesus, the way. Now, it is clear as we read this text that these guys just did not expect Jesus to say what He did and predict what He did. They had been told about it, but it seems they did not listen. They did not observe what Jesus had been saying to them at various points through John's gospel, telling them that He would have to leave them. Now, maybe it was just because they were men and they had that 
perennial problem of selective hearing. I don't know what it was. But somehow, they just didn't absorb what Jesus had been saying to them. And so, here we find them almost hysterical. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Philip, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough. In other words, show us more, Lord. We need to know more about this. These guys had left all to follow Jesus. It had been a blessed time with Jesus, but it had been a hard shift. They had, they had been criticized. They had been run out of town sometimes. It had been a difficult thing to follow Jesus. He was there all. And now it seems they're facing the prospect of being left without him, to be left alone. And some of them, all of them, I think, are hitting the panic button. What on earth is going to happen now? But it is at this very moment of their panic, of their lostness, at the very moment pre-cross, when we might have excused Jesus for being a tad self-focused, that his concern reaches out to his disciples. His concern reaches out to his disciples. And what Jesus has to say to them that day has to do not only with their present feelings, but it has to do with their future prospects. And what Jesus has to say to them clearly, unmistakably centers upon Him, upon Him. And what holds for the disciples then holds for disciples now. It comes down to the Lord Jesus and faith in Him. You know, the, the, the rhythm of life, I find, sometimes can have a kind of soporific effect, just kind of lulls you into a state of lethargy. But there are clear and present dangers in the world in which we live and the lives that we live as well. And one day, the fact is that you and I are going to swing out into eternity, either on the basis of what we think is cool on the basis of our own homespun ideas of life and death and the hereafter, or on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ. Seems to me there are only two options there. And the question is, are we prepared to trust Jesus Christ with our futures? Will they trust Him? Will we trust Him? In a previous uh, working life, uh, I used to work as an engineer, and I, I, I would travel a lot to the Western Isles, which I really enjoyed. And I remember one particular Monday morning going to Glasgow Airport to fly up to the beautiful island of Barra, landing on the beach and all that stuff, usually onto two inches of seawater, but we won't mention that. But I remember sitting there in the, the departure lounge, and uh, one of the ground crew coming in and saying, uh, ladies and gentlemen, which sounded a wee bit odd because there was only about four of us in the departure lounge, but she said, ladies and gentlemen, uh, high winds off Barra this morning, uh, not sure that we'll be flying. So we sat and we waited for 15 minutes, and then she came back and she said something similar, still very high winds over Barra, uh, not sure if the captain's going to, to, to go for it or not. And then we waited and waited, and then she came in. I'll never forget her words. She came in and she said to us, as we looked at her expectantly, captain says he'll have a go. Now, at that point, you've got two options, either uh, runway or runaway. But you have a choice. And all the time in what Jesus is saying here, he, he's pressing the issue. 
guys he's saying? Are you prepared to go in what I'm saying? Are you prepared to trust in me? Jesus speaks straight into their anxiety about himself. He speaks to them about trust in him. And he speaks into their anxiety. Strange, you know, that the greater anxiety today seems to be expressed in the affluent, for the most part, West. So a reminder to us that plenty does not equate to peace. However much we have, the Bible reminds us that we are more, much more than a, an accumulation of atoms, that we are made in the image of God and bear His moral stamp thereby. We are more than the sum of our physical parts. We just plain are. You may say that I am biased, and if you were to say that, you'd be right. But I still say as I look around that I can find no one like Jesus Christ, that I cannot find any answer better than His. There is no one like Jesus. In His antiquity promised by the prophets, in His authenticity, no one ever spoke like Him, and in His ability here to speak into the, the, the needy hearts of His disciples. Jesus calls them not to trust in some kind of way. He says, I am the way. And you need to place your trust in me. And on that basis, he says to them, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives you. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Now, this first part of the chapter carries an implicit call for them and for us to stop and to listen. There is something that the Lord Jesus Christ needs to say at depth to them. And I just wonder this morning, is your, is your mind buzzing with something? Do you need to still your brain and listen to the words of Christ today? For you may just hear something that will change not only your outlook, but change your eternity. The worried disciples, and secondly, Jesus as the way. To some of these some of us who have been brought up in the life of the church, maybe not all this morning, but to many of us who have been brought up in the life of the church, these words are so familiar. And sometimes the familiarity of these words and passages like them can mask the obvious. But I want to say to you, and please notice this in these words of the, the first part of John's Gospel, chapter 14, that Jesus' words here reveal what we would call a high Christology. This is a high, high teaching concerning the person, nature, and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus does not say, go here or go there. He says, trust in me. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. He's forcing the issue in the minds of his disciples concerning who he really is and what he will do for them. He's asking them, do you really think I'm just a confident man like Ronaldo, or am I who I claim to be? Are you prepared to commit by faith in me? And what comes next in what Jesus says is just a master class in pastoral theology. Let me explain to you why. Here are the disciples. You can imagine the scene. They're all absolutely terrified about the prospect of what may lay ahead of them. 
They're scared out of their wits, wondering what the future holds. And Jesus begins to speak to them of the eschaton, of the last times. He begins to speak to them of His parousia, His return to earth. Now, in other parts of Scripture, these things are, are just described in mega terms, macro terms. Take, for instance, Mark 13, verse 24, but in those days the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken, and at that time men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and He will send His angels and gather His elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. But now look, look at your Bibles. Look at, look at how the Lord Jesus Christ deals with that theme here. He takes what is a big mega theme, big and alarming in some ways, and He makes it so personal and so comforting. He takes this massive theme of His parousia, His return, and He says to His disciples, ah, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Isn't that brilliant? Jesus takes these things that will come to pass now and in the future, some of them that would make us quake with fear. But the key to all of them is faith in Jesus Christ and the fact that we are found in Him. Isn't that wonderful the way Jesus does that? What a tender, loving Lord Jesus we have who takes the fear factor out of the future for all who trust in Him, who takes a mega theme and applies it tenderly to these terrified disciples in the most effective pastoral way. Do not let your hearts be troubled. How brilliant is Jesus? He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, it's not just about sort of getting a room ready, you know, getting, getting the linen out and assembling the Ikea furniture. His preparation would come by way of the cross, where He would bear the sin of all who would come believing. His preparation for us would come by His resurrection, whereby His victory becomes our victory in Him. In these ways, Jesus will prepare us for what is to come and prepare His disciples here for what is to follow. And the master teacher continues, and this is just excellent. I mean, he's, He knows what His disciples are going to say. I mean, as disciples of Jesus, we are nothing if not predictable in our responses. And so the master teacher continues. He says to them, verse 4, you know the way to the place where I am going. And he knows what their response will be. And Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? You know. No, we don't. Yes, you do, says Jesus. I am the way. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. They're thinking spatially. They're thinking geographically. Jesus is thinking personally and thinking spiritually. They have not fully caught on. Salvation is about personal faith. It's not about a path. It is about Jesus Christ. And this is what a personal relationship with Christ means. It means a personal placing of our trust in Him. 
wonder this morning, do we have that? Do we have that? Jesus speaks of salvation. He says, I am the way. That, that, that I am phrase is ego aimi in Greek, which resonates with Exodus chapter 3, when Moses was told to go to the people of Israel, and Moses said to the Lord, Lord, whom shall I say has sent me? And the Lord said, I am that I am has sent you. And so when Jesus says, I am, he's saying, I am God, the way. That's what he's saying. I am God, the way. And this was no new way for Jesus to speak. He's already spoken of himself in terms of, of, of the way and of access. Back in chapter 1 of John's gospel, he was speaking to Nathanael, and he said to Nathanael, I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus comes, you see, as the way of access to God. I am the way, he says. And the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ would be the means by which that access would come to us. Uh, chapter 3 and verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. Said it before and I'll say it again. Jesus does not ask us to follow a ten-point plan to salvation. He asks us to follow Him. To follow Him. Jesus saves, and it is personal salvation. Secondly, Jesus speaks of revelation. He says, not only I am God the way, He says, I am God the truth. From the beginning of this book of John's gospel, John has been crystal clear. Jesus is God incarnate. He is the full manifestation and revelation of the glory of God. He, he hammers this theme even in the very first verse. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Verse 14 of chapter 1, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so, the message is that Jesus does not simply bring a revelation. He is the revelation. His words are the Father's words. His deeds are the Father's deeds. This is the message. This is why he said what he said to Philip. Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing His work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least, he says, believe the evidence of the miracles. Distinct in personhood, united in essence with the Father. You know, I spoke a couple of weeks ago with a, a gentleman who is the Queen's, or one of the Queen's representatives in Dundee, and it was very interesting. What an, an honor to have that kind of position. But Jesus has more than a representative function. He steps onto the stage of history as the God-man reality. And then lastly, Jesus speaks of being God, the life. I am God, the way, the truth, and the life. And again, we find that this is perfectly consonant with all that has gone before. Uh, the one who spoke all things into being, the very agent of creation, stands before them, and the thought for us is awesome. 
John says again in the first chapter of his gospel, through him that is Christ, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life, he says, was the light of men. And to the weeping sister of Lazarus, he said, your brother will rise again. And the weeping sister said, yes, Lord, I I know that he will rise at the resurrection, to which Jesus said, my dear, I am the resurrection. It's egoimi again. I am God, the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And Jesus Christ is mighty to save because he rose from the grave, and he is alive even now, conquering death and hell for all who trust in Him. So, He does not just bring the truth about God's rescue. He is God's rescue. He is God's rescue. And this was John's purpose in writing the whole of his gospel, you see, that people like you and me would come to a discovery of the salvation that is in Jesus Christ, who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. The core of John's gospel is 20 verse 31, where John says, but these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. No guilt in life, no fear in death, This is the power of Christ in me from life's first cry to final breath. Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand here in the death of Christ. I live. This is a message that speaks peace into hearts and gives direction to disorientated life. And it is a discovery, dear people, that has been made through the centuries. I don't know where you are with Jesus today, whether you're walking in fellowship with Him or whether you're on the periphery just looking in. But I want to say to you that this is a discovery that people have made down through the centuries. Thomas Akempis, in his Imitation, the imitation of Christ said, without the way there is no going, without the truth there is no knowing, without the life there is no living. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And then Jesus tells them lastly, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. People have struggled and some have stumbled over these words. What did Jesus really mean as he speaks to those who trust in him concerning doing anything for them? Greater things? Greater things than the water to wine sign? Greater things than saying, Lazarus, come forth, and he came forth? What are these greater things? Ask for anything in my name, says Jesus, and it's yours. Now, if you're thinking about a Porsche 911 right now or a timeshare in Marbella, I have to say you're on the wrong track. Because to ask in Jesus' name is to ask according to His will. 
And to understand what Jesus is saying here, we need to go back to his core mission, and that is the inbreaking rule or kingdom of God. This is what he's been doing. And in a very, very short time from this interaction that takes place with his, his disciples, Jesus is going to go to the cross, and there he's going to be crucified, and there bear the sin of all who would come to believe in him. And from there he would be put in a grave. Then he would rise from the dead, and before his very assembled disciples, ascend to the Father, from whom the Spirit would be sent to do these greater things through the disciples. When Jesus speaks about the greater things, He's saying, this transcribed ministry that I've had in the Middle East will go global in the power of the Holy Spirit, and you will have power from on high. Where God calls, He equips for the task of worldwide mission. And sometimes we get a wee bit down about the church, and sometimes rightly so, and yet we live in days of the exponential growth of the church of Jesus Christ. And that ought to fill our hearts with confidence in the gospel and the life-changing power of God, the Holy Spirit. These greater things would be the apostolic band breaking out and taking the gospel and the power of the Spirit to the ends of the earth. And they did. And they certainly did. In the power of God, they turned the world of their day upside down. And this was their message, and it is our message too. Peter stood before the rulers of the people, and in the face of the opposition of his culture, in the face of the opposition of his culture, he said, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And the people that there listened, and the people that day had a choice, and so do we. Hold on to our homespun ideas of life, swing out into eternity on the basis of what we think is cool, or surrender to so great and so tender a Lord, and find Him to be the way and the truth who brings eternal life. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, would you speak into the disorientation of our lives, your words of direction, and your words of peace. You spoke into the lives of worried disciples then, and Lord Jesus, you speak into our lives now, saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. Help us to have that settled direction and that peace that comes from the presence of your Holy Spirit within saying, this is the way, walk in it. May we know the peace of Christ this day. And in his name we pray.